Welcome to the Intern Whisperer. The show is all about the future of work and innovation. So today's Intern Whisperer tip of the week is find out when your intern's birthday is and surprise them with a card, a cupcake, take them to lunch, or give a shout out on social media. The important thing is to remember that you're building a relationship with your employee and your mentee as the mentee is also your intern there. They will mentor you just as easily. So today's guest is Lonnie Snyder with the 2022 Special Olympics U.S. Games. Welcome. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have you here. I'm going to tell everybody how we met. It was on the Orlando Tech Council call and you were a speaker there, and I went, oh, this is really great. I can always support anything that's a nonprofit, and I love doing that. Oh, and I'll have to tell you about another um, service that's available free where you can actually use it as an, well, I'll just go ahead and give it. It's called Tuesday. It's an app, and it's always that reminder that every Tuesday organizations can donate to your cause, it doesn't cost you anything to join, and it is a way to drive traffic for, like, silent auctions or anything that you have up there. That's very cool. Yeah. I'll let our marketing team know. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I share that with you. Uh, I'll connect you to the gentleman that um, started that whole project, and he is out there to make a difference in the world with nonprofits. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so our show is all about education, innovation, and the future of industries and jobs. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of questions that people have about individuals with Down syndrome. So you're going to be able to dispel all of those types of myths that we have. But we're going to take turns. I'm taking the odd today, and Matt's going to take the even. We usually just end up blending, and we just bounce off of anything that you say so just so you know everything becomes uh, just a rambling conversation but with purpose awesome all right so tell us about yourself using only five words and why those five words are significant uh well first off husband mm-hmm. father uh, and chief information officer and uh, the first two i think are the most important parts of, of my job or my life the last three uh, was the shortest way to try and talk about what I do in the last 26 <laughs> years of my life mm-hmm. and uh, how I get to help people now. So it's pretty cool. You know, that's amazing that you have spent that many years in a field of service where many people don't necessarily um, stay more than two years and then they hop to another job. So that alone is a tremendous uh, a tremendous. I think, gift to be able to give to any employer. Um, your wife. So what's her name? Her name is Michelle. Awesome. So Michelle gets a little shout out here. And uh, your kids, because you're a dad. So uh, Kayla, my oldest, is 25. Kyle uh, is 23. Mm-hmm. Miles uh, is 7. Maddie is 5. Those are both uh, adopted uh, from Taiwan. Uh, our two littles are rocking their extra chromosomes. They have Down syndrome. And then we are in the final stages of adopting a little girl, uh, Magnolia, from Taiwan. Um, she has cerebral palsy. So, oh, Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. We just had our first three court appointments last week, so we're wow. hoping that can be completed by the end of the year. That's got to be a pretty lengthy process to go through. Yeah. Uh, are they here in the United States, or do they fly? Do you fly there to meet them? How did that all work? So normally you fly there. Um, <laughs> It's normally a one-week process, but there's three court hearings. So by the time the third court hearing happens, um, they're legally your child. So you're just going to go get them. But they do here. You adopt in the United States, so they're legal, or do you have to do it in both countries? Both. Wow. 
So there's a, a lengthy process with U.S. Customs and Immigration with I-600 or I-800 forms, depending on the country you're adopting from, to get permission first off to bring a child into the U.S. And then once you get the match and you go through processes in another country, then it's the approval to bring this specific child in. So we just got that from U.S. and Customs and Immigration uh, about two weeks ago for Magnolia. Mm. So that's part of the whole dossier that's submitted. It's everything about your life, your financial history, your whole portfolio. They do home visits. They do all kinds of yes, things. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, Interview everybody that knows you. The, um, the first home study we did, I mean, it, it felt somewhere between like a short sale with a bank and then um, a really bad divorce with the lawyers trying to dig everything up. So no. they, they go through and leave no stone unturned just to make sure you're a fit person to adopt someone. So. Mm. Well, that's that's comforting to hear to a certain extent. It's also, um, I do have a separate question going back, but why that country? Why did you focus on that country for um, being able to find children instead of maybe children here in the United States? Sure. Um, that one's easy. It's, it's a little bit of a longer story, so let me give you a short version. Um Leading up to the 2015 World Games in Los Angeles, the Special Olympics World Games, uh, I went to, of all places, Omaha, Nebraska, and mm. uh, to take we took over their summer games, testing all the new technology we built with Microsoft. And um, I got pulled into a mission moment and got to hear one of their board members tell his story about how he got involved with Special Olympics. And he ended up, um, he and his wife were in their mid-30s having their first child, and um, save you the the 10 minute longer version (laughs) basically they get to the hospital and uh they're in the delivery room and um all of a sudden everything gets quiet they take the baby and they leave and he's freaking out going what's going on and all of a sudden the doctor comes and says i'm so sorry your your son has down syndrome and they leave and so um, they've got family coming in from across the state and it's getting dark and his wife is just kind of quietly sobbing and he's thinking dig deep like i need to say something to give her some hope some inspiration and he said i don't know where it came from but what came out was well at least we have special olympics and fast forward a few years they get involved with young athletes so it's for um, children from two to seven and then um, he had just com- brady his son had just competed in his first race when he turned eight he said what we found was love, community, uh, hope. Mm. And uh, he said no one will ever convince me that children with special needs are any different. And I would agree. I uh, went home, told my wife that story. I'm crying as I'm telling his story. And she just started bawling, looked at me and said, okay. And I went, oh, crap, what just happened? <laughs> so for eight years, she had been pushing to expand her family. I said, you know, let's let's get another dog. And, uh, <laughs> we got a second dog, and it, that didn't work. So yeah, it doesn't fill we, the maternal we, needs for sure. She sent me a link to our little guy's blog story and um, said, what do you think? And I said, he's cute. And she said, good, because I already talked to the social worker. And uh, <laughs> I, I see that there's a lot of free-flowing communication going on here. So <laughs> once, well, once we were in, we were in, and I was going to move heaven and earth to bring that little boy home. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so. Yeah, yeah, it's truly, it truly is. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything more rewarding than you know being able to hold a child, love a child, and choose a child. Because many times, you know, when you're in a marriage, you'll have your own children, biological children. But when you choose a child, that's very, very different. We had a lot of people try and talk us out of it, from family members yeah. to um, the social worker. Was it worker. just adding another child or specifically a Down syndrome child? Uh, a child with Down syndrome. Hmm. Uh, one of my 
family members said, oh, no, no, you don't want to do that. That's a bad mistake. Um, my parents said, really? And the social worker that was doing our home study, when I slid my iPad across the table and she's like, tell me about the type of child you're looking for. I said, this is our son. And she looked at it and she looked up and she said, why would you want to adopt a retarded child? Oh, I wow. Ma'am, I just told you where I worked. Please don't ever use that word again. It's very offensive to me. And she said it like three more times in the next 10 minutes. So I looked at my wife and I'm like, you need to figure this out or we're out of here. I'm thinking, crap, she already cashed my yeah. check. But we made her our project. And for the next six months, like we did everything possible to convince her that we weren't um, out of our minds. And yeah. this was a good thing. And then when um, she started doing her first post-placement visits to check in, she saw Miles, and he was just a regular kid, right? He was yeah. like the, the mayor of his preschool. He <laughs> wasn't talking, but he was waving his arms and saying hi to everyone and mm-hmm. going up and giving hugs. And, and how lady, old was he then? So we brought him home. He was two and a half. Oh, my God. That's so precious. I love that age. Yeah, and so this lady comes into the house, and he just runs up and gives her a big bear hug, and she's like, what's going on? You know, and an hour later, she's talking to my wife and said, if, if I have any clients that are interested in children with special needs, can they talk to you? And she said, of course. So uh, one of the people in our, our journey, he gave me this really great advice. He said, adoption is like jumping through a series of windows. Mm-hmm. You never know how you're going to quite get through the next one. Um, you're always just thinking, how are you going to make this work? Are you mm-hmm. going to come up with this next money, get this paperwork done? The, the government is very specific on formats of paperwork, and it's easy to get things kicked back. But he said, never forget to look beside and behind you and offer your hand up to those who are coming along. Mm-hmm. And so we took that to heart. And the whole time has been just trying to pay it forward, right, to help other people on their journeys. I, I can't tell you how large my wife's network is, but she's connected with people all around the world and just helped to be a voice of reason, uh, someone that to talk to to give you what it's really like when you won't ask uh, a caseworker a question. Gosh, we should have her on the show too. She's <laughs> an amazing person, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is a very good story. I guess I go back to the story where you were just saying when they were in the hospital and the doctor says, oh, the child's born with Down syndrome. But in my head, I'm honestly thinking, like, why is that bad? I don't see that as a a bad thing at all because every Down syndrome person that I've met or that I've heard about is extremely loving. Like, I go, why is that bad? Uh, a colleague, a former colleague of mine in Dublin, Ireland, actually helped me understand this. So another colleague, when I was in Washington, D.C., said, do you have a minute? Came in, closed the door, and like cried for 45 minutes because she just got the diagnosis that her daughter was going to have Down syndrome. And she said, you know, how did you react? How did you deal with it? I said, well, I didn't. We chose him. Mm-hmm. There was nothing wrong. There is. This is just what we went to do. And, you know, someone said, oh, you're a hero. I'm like, not a hero. No. We're just we're just two regular people trying to make the world a better place for a person, right? A every, child. Every yeah. child needs love. Every child needs a home. And so my colleague on the other side of the ocean said, "Well, Lonnie, you need to understand. There's a a grieving process. This hits you hard. You have to work through it. You accept it, and then you you learn about it. And it's not that bad. And then it's full of love. And the rest of your life, you spend educating people. And so that's pretty much what we we do. Like we. Pre-COVID, take them everywhere. Take them to the store. Take them to the the mall. Take them to church. Just wherever you go, yeah. expose them to the community. And uh, the biggest shock to me was I thought Northern Virginia, where we came from, was a pretty progressive area. 
we would literally walk down the street and Miles would smile and wave. We'd have half the people smile and wave back and then half would literally pick up their kids and turn around and go the other way. Wow. Wow. That was crazy. That's right? horrible. But that still exists today. So um, we do everything possible to just try and educate people and make sure that everyone knows that this is normal. This is okay. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is one of the coolest kids you'll ever meet in your life. Mm-hmm. Right? He's so full of love, unconditional love. And um, he, like I said uh, earlier, uh, before you started recording, he's not verbal. He has a couple of words, but he is just an amazing kid. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the world like a hug for Miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you get involved with the Special Olympics? Where did that influence come from? So I started with Special Olympics International in 2012 and uh, got called in from a CFO at the time to rebuild their infrastructure and rep- replace a lot of their enterprise systems and got swooped into this little World Games thing that happens. Uh, so every four years, they alternate between uh, World Winter Games and World Summer Games. And really, it's every two years a major event's going on, and every year there's a test event in between. So I ended up in Korea, of all places, in the winter of 20, uh, January of 2013, and freezing my butt off because it was, you know, like negative 14 degrees with the wind chill. Sure. A little cold. And um, literally traveled the week before Christmas. My wife just had a major surgery, and two days later I was on a plane to go do a scouting trip to try and set things up. We had a lot of great meetings, and then nothing happened. And when we got there, we had to just make it all up. You know, everything from setting up offices and technology to, hey, I need two copiers, right? How do you pull a copier out of your rear end when you're (laughs) five hours away from a major city? Right. Right. So it was just a a really interesting time of other duties as assigned and figuring things out, and you just had to improvise and, you know, know that it was normal to get a call after 1 o'clock in the morning to help someone solve a problem. But... I saw a race there. Uh, We set up our staff operations office at the snowshoeing venue, and I raised my hand and said, excuse me, I have a dumb American question. (laughs) There are people here who've never seen snow before in their life. How how do you know how to snowshoe? How does this just, how does this work? Oh, that's easy. You strap cardboard to the bottom of your feet and you run in sand. Like, what? When you get there, someone donates snowshoes, you do a qualifying run, and then you compete. I'm like, holy cow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right, so we lined up at the the glass to to look down onto the field of play and watch this race. And they fired off the gun, and this young man from Africa stood there, confused. And I was like, "What's going on? No one knew." So they sent him to healthy athletes to get screened. So Special Olympics is the world's largest public health provider for people with intellectual disabilities. No, by the way, I learned that people with ID, you know, die about sixteen years sooner than the general population from preventable diseases. So, wow. Uh, now we're making headway, but you know, 10, 15 years ago, this stuff wasn't taught in medical schools. Like people didn't know how to deal with this population. So healthy athletes uh, started 20 some years ago with two disciplines. Now there's eight. And I got to go see that in action and actually see like an adapted vision exam. So instead of going to the eye doctor, Matt, like you or I would, because we've got glasses on, these are progressive. I have contacts to be clear. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But instead of looking at the eye chart from 20 feet away, they do an adapted vision test where they have a volunteer sitting like where you would, Isabel, pointing at a piece of paper, and there's symbols on here, and then Matt, you're 20 feet away, you're pointing at a chart on the wall with symbols. So it's like an apple, a heart, Mm -hmm. a house, not the normal letters. That's how someone who's not verbal can do an eye exam. It's like, wow, this is crazy. So that young man was nonverbal, he couldn't see more than a hand in front of his face. 
but he couldn't tell anyone. So it was like, how does an 18-year-old kid get to a World Games? You've got to be good to get here and not be able to see. Oh, easy. You hold on to your coach's sleeve and you run as fast as your coach, and then you can make it to a World Games. I'm like, wow. So thanks to great partners like uh, Essilor and Lions Club and lots of volunteer doctors, they literally discover what's going on and they cut glasses for you on site and you leave being able to see for the first time in your life wow the wow. last couple of world games um there was a company that helped people with hearing aids so i literally got to watch people here for the first time talk about something that just like wow changes you yeah so i left that first event and went home exhausted after being out of the country for th- three weeks and not sleeping and told my then millennial teenagers who are now young adults that I was so sorry and apologized for telling them they were silly for thinking they could change the world. And, you know, one person can change the world. You just, you don't know it. I believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that started a quest that lasted eight years in D.C. of just um, working at the international level with a lot of travel, a lot of events. And then this opportunity opened up in Orlando with the 2022 Special Olympics USA Games organizing committee. And I was excited when I met our CEO last January. He talked about this project with passion and talking about being the largest Special Olympics USA Games, 25% bigger than the last one. Normally, it's just U.S. delegation members from the different states that will attend. We're going to have 15 other countries come, too. So wow. folks from the Caribbean, Latin America, South Country, or South America. So this will be like a mini World Games, which is pretty cool. Little where dark. is this? So this is in the greater Orlando area. So Disney is our host. Um, so many of the sports will be at ESPN's Wide World of Sports. Nice. And then uh, external venues. Mm-hmm. How can people volunteer for this? Great question, Isabel. It's like we, pro- <laughs> it's like we talked about this. So yeah. if, if you go to our website, 2022usagames.org, there's a Get Involved tab. You can also go straight to volunteer.2022usagames.org. There's opportunities for every aspect of the games, from helping with actually putting on sports to back-of-house things. My, my wife would do something back-of-house. She doesn't like to be in front of people. But um, you name it, there's an opportunity, and we need your help. Like yeah. right, right now, I'm recruiting about 100 uh, volunteers for technology positions, mm-hmm. actually about uh, 20 leaders. So, What kind of technology positions would you need? Like video? Is that what we're talking about? Uh, so we're talking about game systems. Okay. So Special Olympics International has created this system that they call Special Olympics Connect that runs, uh, it's a web-based platform that does all the registration for the delegations, and then mm-hmm. it actually runs the sports competitions. So Special Olympics does divisioning unlike any other sports uh, body in the world. So they division by age, gender, and ability. So you don't want an 8-year-old girl running with a 90-year-old man. It sure. doesn't, doesn't look good. And uh, so they do it um, by gender, by age brackets, and then in a perfect world, no more than 15% difference between the lowest and the highest level ability person in a group. So it's it's pretty cool when it's done well. Um, makes for amazing competition. And I think one of the things that, that struck me the most is there would be more people cheering for someone coming in last than mm-hmm. just people to cross the finish line. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Everybody's I, a winner, it sounds like. Well, and I told people, don't give us money. You know, just come see an event. Because when you see an event, it changes everything. It, it literally, that first event that I saw in Korea, changed my entire worldview. So people never convinced me that children with differences are any different, right? Um, there's this this huge uphill mission to, to provide equity in healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be a voice for someone who can't speak at the doctor's office, right? Training a uh, practitioner that 
they should talk to a person like you're talking to me, right? Don't mm-hmm. look at the person that brought you. Don't look at a parent. You know, treat people with dignity. Treat them the way you want to be treated. And by the way, they're, they're just like you, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. I um, got re-en- uh, re-engaged with my uh, church, and I teach Sunday school. Cool. And I had done three, uh, worked with three-year-olds for the longest time, and so I got three types of messages, I'll call it, um, where I was going, okay, well, apparently it's time. I need to go back into children's ministry. And I went back, and it was just like nothing had changed. It, what I love about the three-year-olds, and I'm sure you'll relate to this, is that it ties in with everything you're saying. I learn more from a three-year-old on how to treat adults because at the end of the day, everybody wants to be heard. They want to be accepted. They want to be liked and loved and you know just be seen. And it's regardless of whoever you are, whatever age you are, whatever. Dis- and honestly, I think everybody has a disability. I worked as a consultant with the National Association on uh, for Greater Orlando Mental Illness and NAMI, NAMIGO. Um, National Association on Mental Illness, yeah, Greater Orlando. So I worked with them for six months as a consultant. And I, had, I went through one of their courses. And it's the same thing. Everybody wants to be heard and seen and valued and feel that they can contribute no matter where you are in the spectrum. So I'm a big fan of uh, bringing in people with disabilities to work with me. And I have a lot that are autistic. They are all the way on the spectrum of whatever a mental disorder can be, as well as we've had blind and also deaf work with us and individuals with um, in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. So lots of those things that we see, uh, we'll see that as the disability, but what you don't see as the disability sometimes is anxiety or somebody with depression or whatever. You may not see those things, but... Everybody has something, whether you're wearing glasses or you're, you know, I wear contacts, but we all have something Mm -hmm. that we struggle with. And I think that we don't, as humans, don't recognize that, yes, we're all the same, really, and we should not um, pick up our children and go the other way or come into um, the room and say, oh, your child is born with this. Whatever this is. So even even in our Just neighborhood, love that person. we have some neighbors that are accepting and mm-hmm. that, that love on our kids from a safe distance and that just smile. Mm-hmm. And then we've got people that literally will take their kids' hands and walk the other way. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I, I don't want to talk about trying to get kids into school right now. It's a yeah. whole other thing. Yeah. But it comes down to just being educated, right? And being yeah. educated about the situation and the circumstance and um, just everybody's like uniqueness and how everybody, uh, how we are all different and mm-hmm. just kind of celebrating that but as opposed to... we're also the same. Right, right. In the sense that we do want to be loved and seen and heard. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Every, every person has immense value. And mm-hmm. can contribute something regardless of their their status, whether they're a special Olympics athlete, whether they're on the spectrum, if they have a physical disability, if like everyone has value. So. so, what are some of the misperceptions that people have about Down syndrome? What could we have our listeners learn from this episode? Uh, I think I I've heard some crazy stuff. So, uh, in my travels, when I I talked about my kids and showed them pictures. I get, oh, how sweet, how how nice of you, good for you, or mm-hmm. bless your heart, you know, which means you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, they're just people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
they have the same needs. They still want to be heard. They want to be loved. They want to be paid attention to. When I get in the door at home, my son screams Bubba, which is daddy in Chinese, and like literally runs like a little elephant stomping as hard and as fast <laughs> as he can to get my attention. Um, you know, and he just wants to be picked up and to play. That's interesting. So he speaks a different language. How long does that take him to transition so, to be able to speak English? So he's he's nonverbal. He only has a couple of words right mm-hmm. now. Um, but we're waiting for them to come out. Oh, I'm sure yeah. they will. And it's going to be like, boom, it just happens. I've heard him say Kayla, my older daughter's name. Um, he doesn't really say other people's names. Um, you know, we've, we've had him home since the beginning of 2017. He still doesn't say mama. Right? Mm. That's hard for my wife. Yeah, yeah. And then I didn't realize how hard that was until my daughter Maddie says mama and everyone is mama. So um, oh. there's a Jimmy Fallon book, like everything is mama. Um, and it's it's a cute little kid's uh, book, but yeah, I, I realized what she felt two years in, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, so maybe eventually I'll get called Dada. She just looked at me like, what are you talking about? Sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, misperceptions could be like, oh, well, how do I help them get hired for a job? So I've seen on Facebook, there's always some commercials, not commercials. Um, it's a Facebook Starbucks hires individuals with Down syndrome. And that was one of the things that I learned from Namigo. It said, no, you never say disabled. You say individuals. So the focus is always on that person it's first. People, people first language. Yeah, people yeah. first. Exactly. Human-centered. And I guess I would say that to our listeners is remember that it's individuals with whatever it is because we do focus on the person or people. Um, the Starbucks hires... Um, and they had this individual that was a barista, and he was, you know, making drinks for people, and he's very, very conversive. You know, he was having a great time doing it, and they're really wanting to embrace that um, diversity side and the inclusion side. So I thought that was really nice. One of my questions before we got into the show is, you know, obviously the spectrum can go all the way up because they can pursue any career path that they would want and that they can they show the aptitude for. So somebody, can they program? That would be a question. Maybe other listeners may not know if that's possible. So Maybe Anything is possible. Anything my kids set their minds to do, they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And we're going to help them. Mm-hmm. So they may need some extra help. They need, may need uh, an accommodation. Um, you know, any, any child that has, if you've been through the school system and an IEP, I was a public classroom teacher. So right? yes, so, I so you had know about plenty individual education uh, programs and they're customized for everyone because everyone needs something a little different. So maybe mm-hmm. you need a couple more minutes to do a test. Maybe you have, um, someone read to you, right. Mm-hmm. Um, or you get some other assistive device. So everyone when set up with the right help regardless of their ability level, can be successful. Mm-hmm. I call it a multidimensional learning approach. And, you know, I wrote an article about this one and it was published because uh, there are all of these different dimensions of people and how we learn, our learning abilities, our skills that we have, the multilanguage, you know, multilingual, the fact that you're, are all of your children, do they all speak only Korean or do they also speak English? Uh, so they are really good at understanding when someone is talking in Mandarin. Mm. Uh, they like snap oh, up that's and not pay attention. Korean then. It's Chinese, right? Yeah, Chinese, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll actually stand with their hands behind their back like they oh. were taught in the, the orphanage. Um, 
Yeah, so it's it's very interesting to see social situations like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they understand everything that's going on mm-hmm. completely. Mm. Um, and I was dubbed into not thinking that for the first year, and my wife opened my eyes quickly. That's so, a really good misperception is that, you know, oh, they cannot understand. Yeah, they, no, they totally understand. They read social situations uh, my son Miles in his preschool before we moved down here before COVID, his bestie was a little guy who had CP and used a mm. wheelchair, and um, now he's like literally he has a book of his friends from the school, and he always like points out Ben, and um, he just misses him, and he literally will hug the picture. Oh, but you know Ben would be by himself, and so Miles saw that, and like this kid has so much empathy, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. He can tell when someone's hurting and just go up and know that they need someone to sit next to them, mm-hmm. not to talk to them, but just to sit next to them mm-hmm. or to give them a hug or to make sure that he was included in play. Mm. Right. So, yeah, I think not not being uh, tuned into social situations, not being able to do things the same as you or me. Um, those are all crazy misperceptions. Mm. That's good. That's really good to share. I know I'm dominating. Feel free to jump in at any point in time. No, you're good. Um, you did mention a little bit about like uh, how some people might need um, additional um, like additional help in certain areas or, or a little bit extra. And that kind of ties in nicely to what I wanted to ask about technology and how that can be integrated into the workforce and mm-hmm. what maybe you've been exposed to some technology that has like helped with additional learning. Yeah, so uh, when I was at Special Olympics International, we had several athletes uh, on staff, and so depending on their ability level, they may need a little extra help or assistance. There's a a gentleman, Ben Collins, one of the coolest people you'll ever meet. He's been an athlete forever. Um, He's visually impaired. He can memorize names like that, Mm -hmm. right? He could pick your voice out. I haven't seen him in 18 months, and he would say, hey, Lonnie, how's it going, right? He lives independently. He can't see. He uses a, a, a cane, and he literally takes the metro in D.C., mm-hmm. which insane. means he's fearless. I, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So he can do and adapt to any situation. And, um, you know, one, one day, two summers ago, he was, like, just needing random stuff to do. So he was helping stock a fridge. And one of the things fell off the, the cart, and all he just needed to say is, tell me where it is. And he reached down and grabbed it. Right? Mm-hmm. He didn't say, hey, would you get that for me? Mm-hmm. He was going to finish his job, mm-hmm. right? But he uses a, a software program called JAWS uh, that basically reads to him. So it's a voiceover tool. There's some other um, athletes that uh, one of the, the receptionists, Gary Bourne, she's a really cool person that she and I share a birthday. She couldn't read before she started working at Special Olympics International. And it took someone a year to figure that out. And so colleagues wow. just taught her how to read. She still uses software to read to her, um, but she can read, mm. right? And so she just needs a little extra help, and she's good. So whether it's a tool to help you write or to read back to you or just uh, something visually, it just it really depends on what the individual needs, but I'm all about give them whatever tool they need to be mm-hmm, successful. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. I, a couple of years ago, someone said, um, oh, is this in your budget? I'm like, I'm not asking you for $5,000. I'm telling you we're spending $5,000. This isn't your budget. Just we'll figure this out, right? Yeah. You have to take care of people. When you take care of people, um, it's it's amazing what happens. Mm. Everything just kind of works. You know, I have a cousin. When we were uh, kids, my brothers and I, 
Um, we went to go visit one of my cousins and well cousins period but one of them was born healthy um, she had jaundice and when they put her in the um, bath well incubator um, they didn't know this at the time the little tiny town but uh, they needed to cover her eyes and they didn't and she went blind oh wow so because they put a lot of sun on you to be able to help you you know overcome jaundice anyway she and I, we would all play games with her, and one of our most favorite, two games, Hungry Hungry Hippos, which is all sound-oriented, and yep. she beat us every single time, all of us. Anybody that could see, she beat us hands down. We were not trying to, you know, we were putting all of our efforts in to win, and she would always beat us. The other game that we had, it was uh, called Chop Suey, and it was a bowl, and you would twist it, and it would turn, and it had plastic uh, geometric shapes in there, and you had to use chopsticks to pick it up, and she beat us every single time. So that was uh, really eye-opening because we, <laughs> she's, she's ways better at this than all of us. Um, the other thing is I used to ride the bus and here in Orlando, and because of that experience with my cousins, there was always a gentleman that would ride the bus also. And he had the cane, and he would get onto the bus, and we would get off. Or I would see him um, at the bus stop, and I'm going, okay, where is it that you need to go? And just like he said, he said, just let me grab your arm. And he said, you, you can walk like you normally do. Don't worry. He said, you know, I'll keep up with you. And I went, okay. So, you know, we absolutely did that. And it did, it did help him to go a little bit faster because, you know, he was... To me, I'm going, that is such trust. I don't know yeah. if I would trust people, complete strangers, to be able to do that. But, you know, there is a different level of, I don't know, humanity, I guess, within those that have disabilities that we that don't get to experience that are not as kind and, I guess, willing to take chances on others. So I have, uh, my wife and I have uh, friends that used to live in Virginia. They moved to Seattle. So they're both uh, visually impaired. Mm -hmm. uh, he can see some shapes. She sees nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, she actually helped him move, move across country. And he is literally one of the smartest guys I know. And so he is a senior software engineer with, with Amazon. And he's telling me about his interview process. He literally is typing code in a Google Doc right to when people are interviewing him asking him to solve problems he's literally just typing and creating code that's insane yeah and super super smart you could talk to him about any problem not related to his core work in three minutes he'll like find a way to super simplify it down to just a couple sentences and go so i really think you're just trying to do this mm -hmm. like holy how did you do that yeah right? so yeah i think people take for granted if they see a physical disability, they just presume the person can't. They think it. less. Yeah. When they really should think way more. Well, yeah. So I, whenever I see someone who has um, something that's not normal, whatever it right. is, right? Um, I'm curious and going, man, I wonder what their superpower is. Right? Yeah, right? because they have one, obviously. Because they've got some sixth sense and it is fully alive mm -hmm. and amazing, right? And, and I've never been wrong like every single person who people don't think is normal it can always do something special mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this special interest right like i um have a family member who like doesn't excel in school very well but like man there are certain video games that you put them in and it's just 
insane. Like it's, it's just insane. And it's just finding that thing that they're, you know, or finding that special interest that you can really nurture. So that way you can um, give them something more productive to work on or Mm -hmm. give them something Mm -hmm. that's, um, you know, like easier or not easier, but, um, you know, more in their lane for them to understand. It's just like anybody, right? We're all different kinds of learners Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just finding what, where that applies. My Mm -hmm. older son struggled in school. He was dyslexic and, um, even 15 years ago, they didn't like to use that word anymore. So he just got labeled as different. And mm. it was a constant fight to try and get him extra resources, help. Mm-hmm. But you know what? When uh, Dirty Jobs was on or uh, the Mythbusters, yep. he could tell you all the science and the episodes and the things that they tested, what worked, what didn't work, without reading anything, all from memory. Like, mm. he's just super smart. He knows more about wireless technology and cell phone bands and different antennas and spectrum than I'll hope to learn in my lifetime. He's just wicked smart. But people didn't give him a chance. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So I think we all have an unconscious bias. It's just trying yeah. to get us out of our box, something my wife reminds me of almost every damn life. <laughs> right? So no matter how long you're, you're in it, um, there's always room to grow to get better. Does Special Olympics encompass more than just uh, individuals with Down syndrome? Is it every? So it's anyone with an intellectual disability. Okay. So that could be... Um, you could be on the autism spectrum. You could have um, uh, a brain injury. Like you could have cerebral palsy. Asperger's. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Uh, we welcome everyone. And if you don't have ID, then you can be a unified partner because we mm-hmm. have um, people with and without intellectual disabilities playing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making lifelong friends and showing the world what people can do. It's pretty cool. Hands down, one of the things that um, I work with, like I said, individuals with disabilities, but I also work with some other agencies that have that. And they'll call me and say, hey, we have somebody we'd like to know. Would you consider working with them? I said, yes, absolutely. So sometimes, um, you know, they're usually very, very, very successful. I've only had one that wasn't. But what he needed to hear was not what he wanted to hear is, I said, you're not a graphic designer. I know you want to be, but you're not going to have the skills unless you decide you're totally going to immerse yourself into this. And if you do these things, yes, you can be a graphic designer. But he, um, his drawings were very rudimentary, and he would not be able to get that. And he worked at Amazon. He wanted to leave Amazon because it's a hard work environment. You know, it's really, really hard <laughs> to work there. Uh, in that package manufacturer or wherever it is that they are packages Um, and he had to come to terms with that that he wasn't willing to invest the time that it took he intellectually he understood that yes he had to do these things to be able to get there Um, but he also had an attention uh, deficit disorder too so there was like multiple things that were going on there um, another person that I worked with, he was deaf and he was the graphic designer also. And we, you know, I'm thinking because we have closed captions that that would be an effective way of communicating. And he told me absolutely not because I would say a word and it might be deaf, uh, D-E-A-F, and it would translate into death, D-E-A-T-H. So unless you were very clear in your enunciation of words, and most people may not be, then it is just a conversation that's all over the place. So it was very challenging. What he, I said, what is it that you need? What can I do? And it was always scheduling an interpreter to be there with him. 
that helped tremendously. It got him to where he needed to be. However, you know, there's just so many, I think, variables that people don't consider about working with anybody that has a disability. And they should, because it's, it's going to be something that levels the field all the way across the board. Because it's about being kind yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so most influential person in your life and why? Uh, so I'd have to say my wife, Michelle. Um, when I first saw her 20-plus <clears throat> years ago, this was at my, my cousin's wedding, I had a, a dumb and dumber moment where, like, the world stopped and I heard music. Mm. Oh, that's so sweet. And my jaw dropped open, <laughs> and the person that I was with elbowed me in the ribs, and I wasn't smart enough to get up and leave and go talk to her. And then, uh, fortunately, we ran into each other uh, several years later, and she is definitely my better half and um, just an amazing person, just so loving, an mm -hmm. awesome mom. And she she has this sixth sense for reading people that's mm -hmm. like drives me crazy, but she hasn't been ever wrong. Um, mm. So if you ever want to know, so what's going on with them? Just let her have a five-minute conversation, and she'll tell you. But she has been such an inspiration to... Um, our older children and to me seeing how patient and kind and loving she's mm -hmm. been with the, the little ones and she's always doing everything for everyone else and she always comes last which is pretty pretty amazing yeah but she's helped literally hundreds of people around the world with adoption journeys and giving them hope and inspiring them and telling them it's going to be okay trust me i was there here's what's next mm -hmm. oh don't listen to that person do you know she literally told me uh, at lunch i was walking and called her for a couple of minutes and she told me about uh we would just were talking to u.s customs and immigration so i talked to someone two weeks ago they said oh i'm glad you called and this was my eighth call to check in and you got a smile hey just mm -hmm. checking in. anything new no please call back in 60 days no no i'll, I'll talk to you in two weeks thanks yeah right? um but she got um the person that I got three times ago that my wife affectionately calls Mr. Grumpy Pants. And <laughs> he was just like a bad mood and everyone knew it. So I was like, well, actually, so next time you should do this and this and ask them to do, right? So it's just trying to help people find um, tactics, ways to cope and mm -hmm. ways to help them on their journey. And it's it's amazing like just the the number of people and the families and just the the number of states and countries that have been touched mm -hmm. because we listened to someone who said look look down and behind you and offer your hand up mm -hmm. right so yeah. she took that to heart and everything we do is about helping people and paying it forward so. you know um i i had this picture of your wife and she should be having some type of a community that is built and well there's this one that we use mighty networks and that's where my academy is in. But she could have a, a whole community where she is sharing all of this deep knowledge with others so that it's building on top of it. I'm pretty sure it should be something that's tied to what you guys are doing, though. So, Cool. Yeah. And it would make, well, you know, people could either make donations directly to that because she's sharing wisdom. You know, and it definitely is helping others. And they, you probably would do well with some of those types of donations to be able to come in because she's so intuitive and you know dialed into people. Yeah, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've done some really incredible work, and you have quite a bit to be proud of. But if you could pin down just one thing, what are you most proud of? I would say I'm most proud of the adults my my kids have turned into. Mm. Um, we've been able to instill in them a, a 
a heart geared towards service and helping people and reminding everyone that people are people, right? And so to be kind to people, to be nice, to go talk to the person that doesn't have anyone talking to them, to help someone. And um, my older son, he'd give a stranger the shirt off his back because it was the right thing to do if they needed help, right? My, my daughter's just blossomed into this amazing young woman. So it's pretty cool that we had a little bit to do with that. Yeah, right. right. There were a couple of years during the teenage period. It was rough, right? But mm-hmm. they were listening. They were paying attention. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it, it worked out. So if, if I died tomorrow, I could say I helped change the world and make it a better place because I taught my kids to be better people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was their choice to certainly embrace that. You know, I, I just cannot ever stop saying, yeah, parents absolutely have huge influence and kids really do hear it. They just may not always react to it at first, but it does uh, train up a child the way they shall go and they shall not depart. And we've talked about it before, but like you don't realize how much of your parents you are until you're a little bit older and you oh, have yeah. one of those yes. moments when you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what my dad would have said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, during our journey to bring Miles home, the social worker came for her in-person visit and she had to talk to everyone one-on-one. And so she was trying to talk our older kids to, out of, to talk us out of it, mm-hmm. our, our journey. I'm like, what kind of person does this? But, um, the social worker asked my daughter, she's like, you know, you're, you're 18. So in Virginia, even if your parents appointed guardians, you would become responsible for your little brother. If something happened like, are you okay with that? And she just looked, this woman's dead on said, yeah, that's what families do. They take care of each other. They step up and you just do what it takes. Mm. And I was like, yes. Right? You could not have told her to say <laughs> that. It's just, yeah. She asked my older son, you know, how are you feeling about this adoption? He's like excited. And she goes, why? Well, because we won't have to give them back. Oh. It's like, yes. Right? So, yeah, never never underestimate the ability you have to make a difference in someone no, else's life. That's it's amazing. A, a stranger or, or one of your own children, um, everyone can make this planet a better place. Do all of the kids come to the event that's coming up here? So, um, because I want to meet Miles. So, he will be there. Um, my older son was away from the summer. He's, he's back with us now. My older daughter, um, will come for the games, but yeah. So with three little ones, my wife mm-hmm. will probably be more of the fans in the stands mm-hmm. cheering from the side rather than trying to corral three kids. Um, at least. Yeah. Cause they'll run in different directions like cats. So Magnolia uses a chair. Um, so that will be a little easier. She won't be running away on her own mm-hmm. yet. Um, how old are they all now? So Miles is seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie just turned five, and Magnolia, who we're bringing home, just turned six. Mm. So. That's nice. Oh, they get to share a bedroom, the girls? Yeah. Nice. That is really good. Well, we need to take a break, a brief break for our sponsors. So. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back. This part of our show is about the future of jobs and industries in 2030. All right. So any predictions about what you think it would be for any, anybody for the Special Olympics? How would it change? Um, how would individuals, the technology that they would use with any disabilities, how would they engage? I think that there would be, honestly, probably more virtual reality 
I think that there's going to be ways that they can solve some of the problems that individuals experience that have disabilities to make it possible, like you were saying, so that they could hear. I think that there's going to be a lot of advancements. I'm not really sure what they are, but I, I feel like it's, it's on the cusp. Well, I can tell you from what games did 10 years ago to what we're doing today is we, we have no infrastructure. We're 100% in the cloud. That means 20-some different software systems that you need to all tie and make uh, talk together and secure so bad people don't get your data. Right. But we're doing really cool stuff, right, that's never been done before. And so uh, we have four tenants. So we're athlete-focused. We're health-driven. We want to be the most technologically advanced USA Games possible, and we want to leave a legacy behind. So everything has to fall into one of those four buckets for us to do it. So with all the technology and smart sheet and planning and cool dashboards and automation, we're, we're doing all this for legacy purposes. So games that come behind us don't have to make everything up from scratch. They can start with a playbook, um, a really well-written playbook, not 40,000 files trying to figure out what they are. Mm. Are these games anywhere else or only in the U.S.? So every four years, the U.S. holds national games. So um, 2018, they were in Seattle. 2014, they were in New Jersey. 2010, they were in um, Nebraska. 2026 has been awarded, but I'm not sure that Special Olympics International has publicly announced the site. Mm -hmm. I talked to the CEO of the host program, and he was pretty excited by what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I said, man, let me tell you about this really cool fan engagement app that we're building. This Mm -hmm. was uh, our CEO's dream. He wanted a family from Nebraska to pull out their phone and to get pop-up navigation and schedule real-time everything so we took that and that was like my hero project of why I took this job and and moved my family 17 hours further away from my wife's family Mm. right to to Mm. do this really cool thing that had never been done before so uh, we've talked to hundreds of people we hired uh, a company to do like real research we built tested concepts and we started it all with the athlete first right they were the most important person what are your pain points? What does your journey look like? What is it like before you get to the games, getting ready? What is it like on site or when you go home? And just figuring out what, what challenges do you have? What can we do through technology to try and make that easier? So everything from managing logistics, right? So they're not mm-hmm. relying on their coach for everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, coaches are selected to attend the games. It's not necessarily the coach you would have trained with. So you're, you're meeting a stranger who's helping you hmm. for the first time. Right, that makes it extra challenging. Yeah, uh, getting encouragement. Right, so we want to have people find and follow folks and send them pre-canned messages of encouragement, not anything custom, because we don't want the FBI showing up and any kidnappings. Keep yeah. it safe. Right. But everyone wants to have people cheer them on, to feel supported and mm-hmm. loved and, and followed. So we're working to build all that. Plus, more. Pretty excited that it's coming and. This is going to be truly a game changer for the Special Olympics movement globally because we did this as a work for our project. So we're going to give this project back to the community. So people in developing countries will have the same access to technology that we do, that we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on. So this is the only one in the world? This is the only one in the United States. The the World Games are going to be happening. um, The next World Games will be happening in Berlin, Germany in 2023. Their test event is two weeks after our event, so it'll be interesting. Wow. Yeah, but Special Olympics happens over 100,000 times a year around the world. 
Wow, I did not know that. Do you now? What is your role? Is it on a chapter level, or are you on the national level? So I left the international organization. So think of Special Olympics International as the top of the franchise, mm-hmm. and then there's seven regions around the world that are 200 programs, uh, over 200 programs in countries and territories. So the United States has 52 separate 501c3s that are all Special Olympics. So Special Olympics mm-hmm. Florida is a separate entity from Special Olympics Virginia or DC, etc. So Florida was awarded the bid to host the 22 national games, and then they formed an organizing committee, and our CEO hired a team. So I left D.C. and came to work on this project, and in the middle of next June, I'll be unemployed. So, Oh, no. Well, I'm pretty sure they'll place you someplace else, I would hope. Well, this is the first time in my life I took a job that had an end date, but... Um, I love what I'm doing. Yeah. This is just the coolest thing I've gotten to do in you know over 20 years. And getting to help people, getting to see the impact of what we're doing, and knowing that we're paying this forward to help people, um, to give them technology and tools that they could have never been able so to do So what was your major in college? So I started out to become an accountant. Okay. And then my first help desk job, I worked with accountants and said, I can't do this. <laughs> So ironically, I turned to biblical studies um, and then still ended up working in technology and just kind of moved up from the entry level to being a CIO. Mm. Oh, wow. That, I, we didn't get that part at the very beginning. And so now that really explains a lot of what it is that you're doing, too, because it's going, it's all in technology. I'm thinking in my head, what did you do before this? What was your education? Now it all makes sense. So I can have a meme conversation with any CFO of a Fortune 100 company. Um, but I'm glad I don't have to be one. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And how did how did COVID um, impact your business? I mean, aside from it impacting everybody's business, but so the event business was decimated, right? right the whole industry. But the great, if there's a silver lining from COVID, um, besides hopefully we're we're close to the end of it with the vaccine, is that depending. Yeah, we'll see. Political, I don't know. They've got a pill thing. now. Yeah, but. It, it forced Special Olympics to improvise and adapt and not leave this neglected community behind. So the focus turned into virtual programming. Mm. And even programs that struggled with technology or didn't have mm-hmm. Zoom, they all had to figure it out. So there's still coaches in the U.S., like the last national games that showed up with flip phones. And I'm like, you seriously still use a flip phone? I thought that was for my parents who were in their 70s. Oh, my 70s. God, yeah. I don't think anybody <laughs> has that anymore, but yeah. My okay. parents do. You know, Blackberries. Late you know. 70s. Who has those? Somebody. Somebody. Yeah, but um, it just it forced everyone to get creative. And how do we have a conversation this way? You know, we, we have an athlete input council that we rely on um, for advice, and we present things to them and get their feedback. And so, fortunately, I was... Um, fortunate for me I was assigned a mentee that I get to, to provide mentorship to this guy is one of the coolest people you ever meet he's 25 years old he's a thousand times smarter than I was at 25 right uh, in Washington State his name is Garrett Oots a shout out to Garrett he's one of three Special Olympics athletes that are certified officials for soccer in the world mm. so he actually has gotten to go to the last world games in Abu Dhabi and officiated soccer Wow. Uh, I met him on Capitol Hill uh, last year before COVID shut things down. He had such a great presence to talk mm-hmm. to his members of Congress and representatives, way more than I could ever give uh, someone, a senator, you know, two minutes about Special Olympics and why it's important and how it's changed my life. So we get to learn from people like that. Hmm. 
And he's a really cool guy. And I, I talk to him every other week. Like, we spend an hour to just talk about whatever. We had some co uh, colleagues that are like, well, I've never mentored someone with ID before. What I do is, like, you just have a conversation. Yeah. Right? Because you never know where it's going to go. But at the end of the day, I'm a better person because I get to spend time with him. Mm -hmm. And it just, when you, when you get out of your box and you think about your perspective, mm -hmm. right, the world is such a bigger place than any of us ever think about but it all starts with people. So what do I see about the, the future of the industry? I mean, just in 10 years, we're not dealing with infrastructure. We're not spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on servers and storage mm. and colo locations. It's all cloud-based. I think nothing will be physical. This recording equipment, you might have a mic, but you're not going to have all the extra gear. Right. It's all going to be hosted in the cloud. And my, my little kids with Down syndrome... <laughs> My son has short fingers. It makes it more challenging for him to hold a pencil and to try and write and to do the things he wanted to. They wanted him to do in school. You know, I, I imagine a world that's just like uh, Minority Report from Tom Cruise. You probably remember that movie from ten plus years ago. He put on his VR headset and he had these gloves and he just started interacting with everything around him. Mm. So that kind of exists now, right? Pokemon, oh, yeah. Pokemon Go was really wild a year and a half ago, right? Right, I, I was envisioning this games app where people are at ESPN Sports Complex, which is really big, pulling this out in their phone, just telling them, showing the path in front of them, and you know, really uh, augmented reality for for wayfinding. So we're probably going to do three D deep mapping now, but the next round will definitely be the full immersive. You know, all of that. I agree. Wow. I agree, yeah. Yep. Um, best mentoring advice that you would like to share with our listeners. So I said it uh, a little earlier, but never underestimate <clears throat> the ability you have to make a difference in someone else's life because you never know when someone is watching what they're paying attention to. But if you stay true to who you are and you just try and help people, you'll make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should always be our mission. Absolutely. And how can our listeners contact you? Um, website, social channels, email, getting involved? So we'd love to have lots of people get involved. We're actively recruiting about 10,000 volunteers to execute the games next June. So June 5th through 12th of 2022. Uh, so 2022usagames.org is our website. There's a uh, get involved where you can go to volunteer.2022games.org. usagames.org. Um, I'm on there. You can reach out on email. Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, Twitter is just a lot of noise to me. But, mm -hmm. uh, maybe I need to change my perception there. Instagram? Uh, I deleted that app too. Like I spend 10 to 20 minutes a day on both platforms <coughs> and that's that's it. Like that's yeah. about all I can do. There's just so much coming in from everyone Oh else. my gosh, there's so much. <laughs> it's just really overwhelming. And then you go Discord and Slack and you add everything else that people are using to communicate text, emails. I could never get involved with Twitter. All my friends and like that's like my like age group specifically is just like really involved in Twitter, and I just like just don't get it. I still don't get it. My older son interacts with the world not on Facebook but on Twitter. Yeah, that's where news and source of truth. I know. Okay. Well, we are at the end of our show, and so I'm going to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Cat Five Studios. And thank you to our production team, Becca Coffey, Associate Producer Intern, Video and Audio Editing, Nick Morales, Alex Teal, Ayana Sanders, Steve Neese, 
Our music um, is by Dave Francis, Sophie Lloyd, Charles Fleming, Eli Sutton, and our sound team, Matt Miller, man sitting across from me, Miguel Centra, and Dave Francis. So employers, please visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can get matched to amazing intern talent and be recognized as an employer for change. I promise you it will change your culture and upskill you mid to senior level people. Um, thank you for supporting our Intern Whisperer and subscribe to our show on Podbean and you will find us also on your favorite podcast channels. Thank you so much. Thank Lonnie, you. this has been a great, great episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs>